Hey there, welcome to the Theology Of podcast. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Riker. And we're two college students who love studying scripture and having meaningful biblical conversations. When we think about theology, most of our thoughts probably stay within the four walls of the church. But in doing so, we're really limiting our understanding of God's infinite nature. And so each episode, we'll be tackling an everyday, secular-seeming topic and discussing what the faith has to say about it, both conceptually and practically. So thanks so much for joining us. Make sure to buckle up, keep your hands and feet inside the proverbial vehicle at all times, and enjoy the ride. Let's go. How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Theology Of. My name is Benjamin, and I'm joined by my good friend Riker. And today, we are going to be jumping into the theology of memory. Woohoo! For our second to last episode of season one, which is super exciting, the penultimate episode, if you will. Want to be super fancy. But uh, man, it's been such a crazy ride. It's been such a great adventure for the both of us, uh, just being able to share this podcast with you and have this platform uh, as just a way of of working our ministry brains and and being able to relate theology to our everyday activities. And so it's really been great to get to connect with you followers and we've just really appreciated this entire ride so far. So we're really excited for what's next, but for now, Sticking with the theology of memory. You excited, Riker? Yeah, I am. As always. As always. Yeah, super excited. Woo. All right. So jumping right in, we start with a question, and uh, that is why memory? And I think this is a super interesting topic that often is overlooked in Christianity. Um, At least for preparing for this, I found that there were less resources available related to this topic. Um, But when I found one, it was really good because people were doing their research and people were really looking at how memory is interconnected in scripture and in our lives as Christians. So it's a super interesting topic that I don't think gets enough airtime. So we're really excited to be diving into that today. Um, As always, I'd love to start with a quote that I think really explains this uh, really well. This is from an article called Without Memory, Who Are We? And it says, really important memories retain their sense of vividness and reality long after the actual event. These are the memories that really define who we are. The childhood incidents that the Alzheimer's sufferer still remembers or the family memories that form all of those remember when conversations. That these things are memories rather than hard, tangible objects does not diminish their reality. They may be only held in the mind in that spongy orb of a cell and neuron but they can be the most real things we hold. Sometimes, though, the physical serves as a switch that triggers the memory. An evocative smell or sound or a photograph can set us on a path of reminiscing and remembering. So I think that gives us some good context on, you know, what memories are and and why we're diving into them today and why they're so important to the Christian life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're exactly right when you talk about how we don't often think about memory or just thinking in general because it's like memories these glasses that we're using constantly but sometimes <laughs> yeah. we forget they're even there um sure so it's yeah. only when we take them off and look at them a little bit that we realize what they are yeah 
And in some senses, that can be really exciting when we have good memories that bring us into a whole different time and place. But on the other hand, memory can be really frustrating. And I know that's that's especially true for me, especially with names. It is so (laughs) frustrating trying to remember people's names. Yeah. But memory is right at the crossroads of so many really big fields of study. You've got psychology, philosophy, neurology, theology, all coming (laughs) together. So yeah, there is a lot to talk about here. Yeah. And I think memory is important to recognize that it shapes our view of right now, right? It, it, shapes how we interact with people because maybe we remember back to a conversation that we had with someone that didn't go so well because we said this or uh, it, it shapes the way we do things because we learned from a good or a bad experience of something like this happening before. And so all of our memories come together to shape who we are as a person. You can think about all the experiences that come together to help you make decisions and stuff like that and all of those are tied into this big thing that we call memory. So today we're going to be jumping into that super deep conversation. And I always think, you know, as always, it's good to jump into a little bit of a biblical survey as well. So maybe let's do just a little bit on each of these because we have so many that we have found for this topic. So let's kick it off with creation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In the beginning, God creates everything. He sets up this garden with Adam and Eve and In the middle of this garden, you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So mankind is able to dwell with God, and they're still in this perfectly created state. And yet there's this alluring tree that they can look at, which makes them think, oh, maybe the minds that God has given us, maybe they can be elevated even higher through the fruit of that tree. Mm, yeah. So that that kind of also just segues right into the fall. But you have Adam and Eve giving in and trying to obtain this knowledge by themselves instead of letting God give them that knowledge, which he would have done if they had obeyed him. But instead, they take the fruit. And in doing so, they don't perfect their memory. They actually corrupt it and do the exact opposite of what they were trying to do yeah right so from this moment on memory loss is a huge problem and it's central to the conflict of the old and new testaments yeah which leads us right through the rest of the book of genesis and into the exodus which brings up two really important tenets that i think are really good to to mention when we're talking about memory. And the first is Passover, remembering the time that God spared the Israelites and the angel of death passed over them as they lived in slavery in Egypt before their exodus. And that is a really nice bridge to a lot of remember when conversations, if you will, back in Israel, you know, as the people every single year would celebrate this time of Passover remembering when their ancestors were spared and were led out of Egypt by Moses. So that is a super important part regarding memory. And the second is that this, just the Exodus in general and the crazy stuff that God did for his people 
is one of the most cited events in Israel's history. It's, again, just that really nice bridge for all of these, remember when God did this for us, and remember when Moses led us through the water, and remember when we got to the other side and turned around and saw the Egyptians be crushed by the waves. You know, it's just a memory of God's faithfulness and provision for his people through a really dark time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can categorize all of Israel's festivals as times to intentionally remember God and what he's done in the past. Yeah, absolutely. But Passover especially, because it's this really climactic, significant moment in Israel's history. And I think a lot of times, just because of the nature of the way we learned about these Bible stories, we think oh, you have Exodus and you have all these other Old Testament narratives and they're all just kind of on the same playing field. But the Exodus is super, super important and definitely casts its shadow far into the rest of the story. Yeah. So definitely an important one. So after the Exodus, after Israel has left Egypt, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai and we get, the book of Deuteronomy, which is basically this big speech that Moses gives to the people before they enter into the promised land. And wow, is memory and remembering such an important theme of that book. Seriously. From the very beginning, Deuteronomy 4.9, he talks about how important it is to remember the things that God has just done for them and to also pass it on to their children. And even in the significant passage of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the Shema, Moses tells Israel to worship God with all that they are and remember who he is by telling these things to their children and putting it on their doorposts and putting it as frontlets mm-hmm. between their eyes. Um, right. All these different methods to put this into their brain. And this is so important, the way that memory is used in this passage, because it actually helps to clarify the sequence of salvation, right? God didn't come to the Israelites and give them the law and then save them from Egypt. No, first came the Exodus And then Mm. after God intervened, then they get the law. And so by remembering the past, they're remembering that God is the one who institutes and instigates salvation. Yeah. And that helps to reorient their perspective so that they can better obey him coming into this new reality. Yeah, that's really good. Another topic that I think is really important along these lines of memory uh, is actually that of altars in the Old Testament, which comes up time and time again. But first, actually, one of the first instances that we see in the Old Testament is actually in Joshua 3 and 4, when the Israelites are crossing the Jordan. Joshua is told by the Lord to make a stack of stones to remember this place and remember the provision that the Lord has given them. Uh, and it comes up again in Joshua 22, verses 26 to 27, more as a, a peace offering between the tribes. 
And uh, I'll actually read just these two verses. It says, So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but rather as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, our sacrifices, and our peace offerings. And then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. So this is a way of, one, making amends with people, but also a way of remembering those things that God is doing among his people and uh, a way of, of remembering the peace between these two tribes, as we've seen in, in Joshua 22. And these come up time and time again in the Old Testament um, and the New, but uh, a really good way of, of proving the memory of something. Yeah, that's exactly right. And really, the purpose behind setting up these altars or spiritual cairns, as you could also call them, right. is so that if a Jewish family was walking down the road and a young boy looked over and saw this massive pile of rocks, he could say, hey, dad, what's that? What does that mean? And the dad could then remember the significance of what God did at that specific event. And so these are national monuments that are being set up. And even beyond the ones that Israel created, there's also geographical landmarks that can right. do the same thing. But the yeah. purpose is to redirect their focus back towards God. Yeah, absolutely. This moves us then into more or less Israel's hymn book, the Psalms. And there are so many psalms that we were able to come up with that describe the idea of remembrance, maybe not in those exact words, but just to list off like six right in a row. Starting with Psalm 1, it uh, starts off by saying, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So that idea of meditating on his law, remembering it, internalizing it, if you will, and being able to sit with it day and night and let it inform the actions that come later that day. Moving on to Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. So again, not directly quoted, but this idea of remembering and memorizing all of those things that God has done for you and spreading the word of those things. Moving on into Psalm 77, verses 11 to 14. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. This one's a little bit more forward, obviously, because it says, I will remember, blah, 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 blah. But it brings up that idea of meditating again. I will consider all of those things. So these are all synonyms for remember, if you will, because it takes a certain amount of internalizing and digesting of what the Lord is doing and uh, gets thrown into that process of memory. Moving on into Psalm 112, verses 6 through 8 says, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. This one 
maybe a little bit less is talking about remembering the Lord and what he has done, but rather talking about the righteous and how they will be remembered forever. And so this kind of gets into the storytelling age of telling of all these heroes of old and how God worked through them and the righteous people that are to be remembered within each nation and time of that nation uh, are stories that are going to be told for generations to come. Moving on into Psalm 119, verse 11, this one says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what does that mean? Hidden your word in my heart. I lump this one in with memory um, just because I think with what we're talking about, of how you're digesting it and you're embodying it, uh, it takes memory. It takes remembering what it is that God has told us and putting it into action. And that's what this says. I've hidden your word in my heart. And finally, concluding with the end of the Psalms, uh, this is Psalm 143, verses 5 through 6, where it says, I remember the days of long ago, I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread my hands out to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. And again, meditating on your works, considering. It's not just you're taking into account. It's more of an internal digestion of what God has done. It's you considering. It's taking these things and letting them inform the way that you work, the way that you move and the way that you do and go about your life. So those are the Psalms. Yeah, there you have it. Moving right along to the wisdom literature in Scripture, we have this idea of not only God's great deeds being remembered, but also our own namesakes being something to be remembered. If we look at Proverbs 10, 7, it says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And then if we go into Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, it says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. And I think this idea can easily get lost on us in our 21st century culture because the idea of the importance of our last names, I think, isn't isn't as important to us. But in this context, to have a family line that goes past you is one of their biggest concerns. And to have your family line cut off was a shame and a disgrace. Right, yeah. So there's this idea of blessing being tied to having people remember your legacy. And this is taken to a whole nother degree for Israel specifically when we look at these genealogies and these promises that are given about a future Messiah that makes the genealogies so much more important because they link this hope with the fulfillment of that hope. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The interesting thing is that not only are we called to remember in scripture, but there's also passages about God remembering things. Mm, Yeah. And this happens especially in some key stories like Noah and the Ark. It says that God remembers Noah and his family and the animals Mm -hmm. when they were in the Ark. And he talks about how 
the rainbow is to be a symbol that commemorates God's promise to never flood the earth again. So with that, God remembering his people and his promises is really significant. Also in the prophets, remembering is a huge, huge deal. And if we use Isaiah 43, 25 as an example, we have in God's words, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. So the Israelites are being called by the prophets to remember God and to turn back to him. But in the midst of all that, God gives this promise of forgetting their sins, which is a really interesting relationship that you have between the two parties. And then also when the Israelites return from exile in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is constantly interjecting with these prayers that call for God to remember his people. Right. And so with this comes the question, what does it mean for God to remember something? Because if God's omniscient, it's not like he forgot anything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not like they slipped out of his mind. Exactly. So what this tells us is memory isn't just a passive experience where we have these things that are being played on our mental screen. But instead, there's something that requires active response. And so when God is remembering in these cases, he's actively responding to them. Yeah, that's a great way of explaining that. And another time that I remember God's memory, if you will, is the multiple times that Abraham has to intercede for his people or Moses has to intercede for his people. And he says, God remembered his covenant to Abraham, to Moses, and then did X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, that whole idea comes back into play when God remembers his covenant and his people. Remembering isn't just an Old Testament idea, though. It also comes back in the New Testament, especially with Jesus and his 12 disciples, because we see that the 12 disciples are making the exact same mistakes as Israel was. They're so quick to forget. If you take Matthew 16, 9 for an example, Jesus had just performed the miracle of loaves and fish in defeating the masses. And yet the disciples are hungry and they complain and they think that Jesus can't provide for them. Right. And they even forget when Jesus explicitly tells them, I am going to die and then be raised. They they just don't remember these things and it causes them so much yeah. grief and so much heartache. Yeah, and he says it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> That's what always gets me. Right. They still don't remember. Yeah. That even brings up the Last Supper, right? Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. That's, I think, one of the bigger moments of memory and remembrance in the entirety of the New Testament is Jesus saying those words. And this is essentially Passover 2.0, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we look back to. This is the thing that we cite the most in our Christian history. And so I think that's another super important one of, of Jesus telling us to, as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and to do all of it in remembrance of him. 
Right. Exactly. And next, I think another one that's really important, big part of Jesus' ministry is when he is promising the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And he's telling them in John chapter 14, verse 26, he says, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So again, if we're talking about disciples having bad memories, this is the way for them to remember. This is the Holy Spirit coming and filling their minds and filling their hearts with the story and all of the miracles of Jesus. And then the last thing that I can think about for the New Testament uh, essentially is, is Paul. As he writes these letters, you know, often he gives little glimpses into his personal life and little glimpses into the relationships that he has with the people that he's writing to. Um, I think of particularly in 2 Timothy, he's writing to him and, and he's talking about how he thanks God for him and that uh, he's longed to see him again. But then he says, I remember your genuine faith for you share your faith that first filled your grandmother and your mother, you know. And so he's remembering these family lines and these people that he's interacted with. Um, and it's just a way of bringing them together, even if it is through a letter. Yeah, well, that's one of the main purposes of the church is to help one another remember God, remember the things that he's doing, and ultimately give him the glory, which comes to its fulfillment finally in the redemption of everything in Revelation, where God remembers the wickedness of those who've done evil and gives them just punishment for that while at the same time also remembering the faithful ones, his followers, and bringing them close to him. And so in the end, we can have this hope that even when we forget things, God won't. So there you have it. There's a not-so-brief overview of memory in the narrative of Scripture. Now, changing gears a little bit, let's talk about some of the facets of memory. I think one of the biggest ones is this concept of nostalgia, This, mm. which is a type of memory where mm -hmm. we think back to something from back in the good old days and right. it evokes in us this visceral experience that is really powerful. Yeah. So Benjamin, are there any specific things that you can think of that particularly give you that feeling of nostalgia? Give me nostalgia. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, one is definitely baseball fields, especially like little league baseball fields really give me nostalgia of, of playing baseball when I was young. Um, another one is the Nintendo Wii, um, and specifically Lego Star Wars 2. That was my game, and you cannot tell me any differently because <laughs> that was uh, basically half of my childhood growing up. So uh, <laughs> love, love the Wii. And I don't know, another thing that I can just think of is just certain certain music. Like whenever you listen to it, it gives you this wave of nostalgia and hmm. um, there's like certain albums that I listen to 
my freshman year of college when I knew nobody and I was just traveling from my dorm to the music hall to the dining hall and back to my dorm and that was about it you know um, there are certain albums that I listen to that I can listen to now and it just puts me right back into my shoes as I walked to the dining hall my freshman year of college. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I just, I think those are a few things that, that bring me nostalgia. What about you? Yeah. Great question. I think one of the big ones is, you know, those little packets of apple cider, like the powder kind. Uh huh. Yeah. That gives me so much nostalgia because this family camp that our family would always go to, they had those and I would always grab like five and just (laughs) completely down you were that kid one huh? after the other yeah 100 nice. percent. so hilarious. that brings a lot of nostalgia also original disney channel movies yeah a couple of them specifically but those just Ooh. bring me back yes and <laughs> another one is do you remember zoo pals zoo pals the, the plates yes <laughs> yeah i never like we never got those but uh-huh. i can remember those commercials so yeah. vividly in my oh head my gosh yeah it's so interesting though how these simple things these simple sensory inputs like smells or tastes right or sounds or sights or feelings can bring us back and like you said put us back in our shoes during that experience right And I don't think that this is an accident. I think God purposely wired us with nostalgia, not just to make us think about the past, but also to recognize this craving that we have in our heart um, that only he can satisfy. Hmm. In The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis talks about this idea. Here's what he says. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, a.k.a. nostalgia, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshipers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Hmm. And so there's nothing innately magical about apple cider packets or <laughs> right. Lego Star Wars 2. Yeah. So I guess you might debate me it, on it's, that. It's pretty magical. Um, but really, it's this longing for God that he's placed in our hearts. Mm, I love that. Memory, like these other things that we've talked about on this podcast, has a fallen side and a redeemed side. So, Benjamin... What's the fallen side of memory? How has memory gone wrong since the fall? Sure. Yeah, I think particularly maybe about memory loss conditions like Alzheimer's or dementia or maybe even trauma that causes us to lose our memory or that we specifically block out specific memories in our lives. Those are, I guess, some of the ways that we can talk about fallen memory. Yeah. And that can be as simple as forgetting where you put your keys or your phone to, like you said, those more major, more permanent memory loss conditions. But it's interesting to recognize that the loss of memory is a side effect of the fall. 
Right. And I think there's also another side to it that uh, is really interesting. And maybe this idea of spiritual forgetfulness or spiritual amnesia, if you will. Um, there's a really good quote, again, from uh, an article called Memory, a Theological Reflection, that says, on a spiritual level, too, we can be forgetful. Often, spiritual direction is about reminding people of what they know perfectly well, but in sense, forget. Perhaps they grasp it at an intellectual level, but don't know how to let it filter down into their hearts and lives. That, too, is a form of forgetfulness, spiritual forgetfulness, a variation on sloth, one of the seven deadly sins. I think that's simply talking about how often our ministry is reminding, you know, going to church and reminding the congregation of certain things that if we read our Bibles and we're constantly in the Word with God, these should just be reminders of things that we do. But often just being engulfed and gripped by the world around us, we forget. We're forgetting things that we should know perfectly well, but uh, maybe we grasp it, like it says in the quote, like at an intellectual level, but we really don't know how to let it really transform us from the inside out. So that's maybe just an idea of spiritual forgetfulness, if you will. Mm, yeah. But I also think it brings up a really, really hopeful idea, and this can transition us into redeemed memory, if you will. And it's this idea of being made in the image of God, being made in the Imago Dei. And uh, there's a really, really cool passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, where it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself, has given us the right standing with himself. Who will then condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So if we apply this to this idea of dementia, or Alzheimer's, or spiritual amnesia, or memory trauma, none of those things can separate us from the love of God. And that's something really encouraging, I hope, that brings you to the realization that as messed up of humans as we are, none of those things that could get in the way can separate us from Christ's love. And that brings us into this awesome idea of redeemed memory. And uh, again, another really, really good quote that I'd love to bring up from that article that I just mentioned earlier. It says, but it's not just important that we remember. Equally important is how we remember. Memory does not give us access to the raw facts of our own past or anyone else's. When we remember, we interpret. Even the facts we remember are shaped by interpretation. The things that are memorable are in some way important to our identity, whether good or bad. 
we play an interpretive role, mostly unconscious, in our remembering. For Christians, that interpretive role needs to be centered on Christ. It is not our own self-aggrandizement nor our self-hatred that is the interpretive principle of our remembering, but rather the intersection of Jesus' life and death with ours. So, when we recall past grievances or wrongdoings, we interpret them now in the light of God's forgiving love, God's call to forgiveness, and Christ's atoning death. We remember our moments of desolation in terms of our hope in Christ, our times of unbelief in terms of his faith and faithfulness, and our experiences of rejection and alienation in terms of his unfailing love. So man, that's a great way to start off this idea of of this redeemed memory. Um, Realizing that as we remember, we are centering ourselves on Christ and how he's been working through our lives, whether it be good or bad, he is the constant thing that we should always look back to. Hmm. That's a really, really interesting idea, especially if we also think about this principle in neuroscience where our memories aren't set in stone. They are moldable, right? We can shift our memories right, even after the fact. And so if we do that responsibly, we can take these past memories and redeem them by shaping them with Christ in mind, like you were just saying. Yeah. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yeah. Continuing on in that vein, I think that memory is an important basis for our liturgies because we are remembering what's happening in the past, remembering the history of the church, essentially remembering how certain things were proclaimed to be done and we're transcribing that and putting that into our own church services. So the ways that we do liturgies is in sense remembering who God has created us to be, and it's putting those things into an order of service and a way that we do life. It's it's bringing all of these things together and all of these memories to make our liturgies. And even another thing, I think that we are able to combine memory with our present practice, and that can go into a whole rabbit trail of different things on ways that we are referring back to our old selves and then changing our actions to become our new selves. But also looking back at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are things that should be shaping us every day. And so that is just a way that we combine our memory of the past with our current practices of the current day. Yeah, that's really good. And like we were talking about earlier, memory isn't just a thing that's left in the past that happens to us passively, but it's something that can shape our actions in the here and now and even direct us towards the future. And not only is that a philosophical idea, but it actually has grounding in neuroscience. Hmm. Not only do our brains use executive function, this purely logical part of our brain, in order to make decisions, but it also incorporates the emotional brain. And the emotions that are used in this decision-making is a large part founded in past experiences. Hmm. Um, yeah. And so this idea of remembering the past or will be doomed to forget it isn't just something that applies to history specifically, 
but this applies to our own lives and our own decision making patterns. Yeah, no, that's super great. I think it's cool that the science supports it too. And there was also another article that I read that talked about more of the science side behind Alzheimer's and dementia and how we as Christians, because they are unable to remember certain parts of themselves and certain parts of their faith that they grew up with, that it is essential for we as capable rememberers, if you will, for us to stand on their behalf um, as as Christians and, and brothers and sisters in Christ and to seek Jesus in them and, and in each other um, for, for those people who have lost their memory or can no longer make that decision of faith on their own. Uh, it's more important for us to stand on their behalf at the feet of Christ and uh, to help them along through their journey in faith as they grow older and, and lose their memory. So yeah, it's cool that the science ties both of those points together. Wow. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. That's really cool because memory isn't just an individual thing, but right. it can be communal. And yeah, when we're remembering things, we can take that experience and we can basically give it to other people by yeah. talking about these things and reminding one another of these truths. So that's that's really cool. So we've talked about memory on the theoretical level. We've talked about it biblically. We've talked about it practically. But after doing all that, what are some tangible, doable applications that we can take into this next week to apply these things? Yeah. Well, glad that you asked <laughs> um, because we have a couple for you. One of which is something that Benjamin brought up earlier, but this idea of liturgy. Liturgy is a tool that we can use to help us remind ourselves of deep spiritual truths. So whether yeah. that be something like communion being this remembrance that we have, or maybe it's certain prayers that we pray, or the structure of our devotional time, mm -hmm. um, that can come in different forms, but it's this tool by which we can shape our memory. Yeah, that's great. I find it funny that of all things in our podcast, I think that liturgy is one of the ones that has been coming up the most, mm -hmm. other than maybe community. But it's mm -hmm. kind of cool to see how it ties into so many other things. Right, yeah, absolutely. Another practical application that we can take out of this conversation is the idea of introspection, which... Man, do we not do enough of, um, yeah. especially in the church. <laughs> we are so quick to fill up our schedules and constantly be doing something that mm, yeah, it's so rare for us to stop and to process and to remember, right? Because we're just constantly yeah. flooding ourselves with new experiences. Exactly. And not letting the old ones shape us as well. Right. So even just taking time to disconnect from the hecticness of the present and to think back can be really, really fruitful. Yeah, that's great. Community is another way that we can practice this. 
because we don't have to remember by ourselves. That's a burden that we don't have to bear alone. We can also come together. And that's the purpose of the body is to unite and to talk about the Lord and help us remember him even when we're not necessarily in the mood to do so. Mm. Yeah, that's a great one. I think that's the second thing. The second thread that has come up most often is mm-hmm. uh, is that idea of community and how we can make those things into communal rather than just isolative and, and single-personed. Right, absolutely. And then last but not least, a way that we can apply this is through Bible memory. And this is mm. an area that, I'll be honest, not a strong suit of mine. Yeah, probably not here either. Yeah, a lot of times when it comes to spiritual disciplines, this is one that I... I'm a lot quicker to write off and think, oh, that's right. not that's not as important for me to do. Yeah. Um, but recently, I thought of a strategy to use that I think would be really, really fruitful to go through. But picture this. You have 66 books of the Bible, right? Yeah. So imagine looking through each of those books and synthesizing the key message of the author down to either a single verse or a short passage, right? So you do that for all the different books. And so now you Mm -hmm. have 66 key theme verses. Oh, wow. And then if you memorize those 66 verses over however long that takes, you now in your head have an encyclopedia of the whole plot line of scripture. Yeah. So I think that's so cool. cool. Um, That's awesome. But yeah, feel free to steal that idea and run with it. Mm, Yeah, no, that's a super cool approach. I definitely really need to get better at that. And um, that actually reminds me of a sort of different thing, but um, is such a cool ministry. There was this video that I watched recently of the Bible Project's premiere of their videos on the book of Revelation. And it was the the last video in their reading the Bible series, and um, you know they had this this big talk, and they invited a live audience and stuff, and so they premiered their videos. But then they had a guy come to the live premiere and recite the entire book of Revelation from memory. Whoa, that's crazy! Yeah, it was super super cool, and it's just. Basically, like, you know, like 30 minutes straight of him just reciting in this big, booming voice the book of Revelation. And um, they were a part of a ministry called Word Sower Ministries, which is now known as Word Sower International. Um, and unfortunately, Jason, who is the the founder of this ministry, passed away uh, just pretty recently. But it's such a cool ministry where they, similar to how you would listen to the epistles back in the olden days where you would all gather in one room and uh, the letter reader would read Paul's letter to the entire room for them to listen to in one sitting. That's very similar to how they were doing their ministry where they'd memorize an entire book of the Bible and then recite it in front of a live audience. So definitely go check out Word Sower International. They're doing really, really great stuff all over the globe but I just thought it was super cool. And if you want to watch that, it's one of their behind the scenes videos on the Bible project behind the scenes, number seven, and it's their premiere of the revelation videos. So definitely go check that out. 
and his name is Jason Nightingale is the guy who founded that ministry. So super cool little uh, rabbit trail there, but super cool ministry to definitely take a look at. Awesome. So there you go. There's some practical ways. Feel free to take whatever is helpful for you. But hopefully this has been a fruitful conversation for you as we think about thinking for the glory of God. Hmm. To close out this episode, we thought it would be fitting to read an excerpt from an incredible book um, of prayers that, again, use this whole idea of liturgy, but do it in a modern sense. It's called Every Moment Holy by Douglas Kane McKelvey. And one of the prayers is a liturgy for those facing the slow loss of memory. So as you go from this episode, here's our prayer. When I no longer know the faces of my family, yet will you know me, O Lord. When I can no longer remember my own name, yet will you remember me. This will be my enduring hope until at last I wake from my long fog into a bright morning of clarity and see you face to face, remembering again all that I had forgotten and knowing then, even as I am known. Wow, love that. Alrighty, folks, that's all we got for today. But once again, thanks so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate you because without you as the audience, Benjamin and I would just be two college kids <laughs> rambling at one another. Um, so thank you so You're not much. Wrong. <laughs> oh boy. Like always, we have our show notes listed down below. Our wonderful music was made by Luke Hall. We really appreciate him. So thanks, Luke, for your work on that. Besides that, that's all we got for this episode. Hope to see you next week as we talk about theology of a bunch of random different topics. I think it should turn out really well. So hope you have a great week and see you later. 